Hello, podcast world. Today, I have a great opportunity to interview my friend, Mark Van Straten, or if you're in America, Mark Van Straten. Uh, Mark and I come from very different backgrounds. He's South African, and I'm American, obviously. He's raised three girls. I raised three boys. His background is charismatic, and mine is Baptist. But we are both two old farts that love talking about the church and theology and faith. So welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. So Mark, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Mark is my great friend. Uh, my colleague, actually my boss. <laughs> we have um, worked together now for almost 13 years. Yep. And the conversation we're going to have today, we have had these kinds of conversations many, many, many times. We've talked about theology and about life, and we've debated and argued and differed in opinion. Um, so this is normal. This is a normal uh, kind of conversation for us. So, But a lot of people don't know who you are, so tell us a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and your journey of faith, what that looks like. Yeah, well, first of all, Skip, thanks for having me. I'm loving your podcast. I've Thank listened you. to them all. And uh, you, you, you're right, like 80% of the time, I could fix a few things that you've been talking about. I'm sure. <laughs> but like you say, you know, we've been having uh, incredible discussions for years. Yeah, listen, I, I grew up in a, in a small town, Escort, uh, in the Midlands of Natal, South Africa. A, a wonderful place to grow up. I grew up in a home, a loving home. My mom and dad married 50 years. Um, so I, I had an ideal, I'm very privileged in the way I grew up in, just in terms of the family I grew up in and the opportunities that were provided me. My mom uh, was a Methodist Sunday school teacher. My father, he was originally Dutch reformed, but uh, when he married my mom, he came into the Methodist church. So as a child, I went to Methodist Sunday school, you know, and um, my, my parents were away one weekend when they were on a conference with my, my dad's work and I was staying with this particular family. And the family I was staying with, the lady uh, was the superintendent of us in the school and she had invited this guy uh, they called him a child evangelist back in the day. I, I, I don't even know whether that's still a thing. Is that not. a thing? I don't know, yeah. Don't know. But this guy came to our, our, our Sunday school and he kind of shared the gospel, you know. And as much as a 12-year-old kid could understand what he was saying, I got it. Yeah. And uh, he made an invitation for those who wanted to give their lives to Jesus. I was first out the blocks. I ran down the front. I... I as much as I could have a conviction of the love of God and my own sinfulness, especially in that context back in the day. And I had an incredible experience, you know, and it was wonderful for me. I really, I really felt as if I had been born again. After that Sunday school, we went back to the superintendent's house and uh, he was there as well and we talked more and there were some teenagers from the high school. And uh, I felt like I should start a, like a movement, you know. <laughs> So I started a thing called BBG, Big Break Gospel Club. I was in, in grade seven, stand five, as we called it back in the day, which was you know, our last year of primary school. And um, I would get the, everybody in my, my class up into this kiosk, this little shed above the uh, cricket field. I'd preach to them. I'd ask them to bow their heads, close their eyes, put up their hands if they want to receive Jesus. Something's never changed. No. <laughs> I've only been doing it now for 55 years, you know. 
and uh, and they all became Christians, you know. Uh, but as I as I went into high school, and there was no real follow up on that in that experience, I kind of drifted further and further from God. And then, in my um, my second to last year of high school, grade eleven, our family went through a, a tragedy that we think only happened to other people. And then mm-hmm. my older brother Nick, he was nineteen, was uh, diagnosed with with kidney cancer in about the May of 1974, and by the October, he had passed away. Wow. So that was a kind of a, a shake-up for all of us as a family, naturally. I mean, it, how do you process that stuff? But the, the thing about that was my father and my mother really began to look for more in terms of their faith. And so they heard of, a, of meetings that were taking place, very informal meetings in homes in a town nearby, a place called Bergville. Uh, they met the guy who was leading that group. Eventually, they started having those uh, meetings in our home. This was in my final year of high school now. And I, I um, felt like God spoke to me. And this is one of those experiences at that time that were very real to me. I was lying in my bath, and I felt like God came into my bathroom and said, Mark, uh, I'm going to stop striving with you, <laughs> which was a good, a good King James word. Yeah, you know, right. It was right in, in that world. Yeah. And I, I made a commitment in my bath on my mm. own, you know, to, to recommit my life to Christ. But after my year of, of military training, I joined this team of young people. And that's where I met my wife, Christine, on that team. She has already been part of it. And we travel around the countryside, going to schools and prisons and uh, university campuses and homes and churches. Wherever doors open, we'd go sing and pray and preach the gospel. Uh, and then Christine and I felt like we should get married. Uh, and after we got married, we went to Bible College in America, a place, full, a place called Christ of the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas. Christ of the Nations was a, is, it was a charismatic slash Pentecostal school. Certainly the founder, uh, Gordon Lindsay, came out of the Pentecostal movement, uh, massively so. And, and so then you came back from Bible College. Yeah. You started a church in Empangani. Yeah. So we're 24 years old. We come yeah. back from Bible College. We started a church in Empangeni, um, and it just explodes, you know, on day one. We, the first service we had with 18 people, and then we got to 180 people within the next few weeks. Wow. There was a whole movement back in, those, uh, in the 80s in South Africa at that time. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of independent churches started springing up, and, uh, and we were part of that whole kind of movement. There really was a, a movement. And so the church grew fast, started a school that yep. was a part of that? Yeah, we started a school um, in the 80s, which was interesting because it was a multiracial school, which uh, in those days was, uh, there were a few schools, very, the very privileged private schools were multiracial, but certainly not the people that we were appealing to. Um, and it was wonderful, you know. So we were there for 10 years. My three girls were born there. And, uh, and then we felt a call to come to Durban. And that was 28 years ago. And started Grace Family Church. Started Grace Family Church. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. A couple of years ago, I heard you talking about a thing, and it's intrigued me ever since. You called it the law of first learning. When I when I first heard it, when you first I think you made it up, didn't? It's not a law you. It, but it's true, I think. Yeah. Um, but you didn't steal that from anybody, did you? I don't think Not so. Not that I'm aware yeah, of. Yeah, okay. But know, I think we've all stolen everything from I'm somebody. Sure we but, have. Yeah. But, but tell, us, tell us what you mean by that. What's the law of first learning? You know, I became incredibly frustrated with, 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 a, with a, a journey of faith where I felt like people were stuck in what they, what they heard when they first became Christian. 
So in my mind, the law of first learning was when a person first came to faith, whatever they were taught, however they were discipled, that became entrenched and they would speak about that or live in that reality for the rest of their Christian life. There's nothing wrong with some of the stuff that we learned initially. But as we began to grow in faith, and even your last podcast we talked about shift as things began to change, so we needed to change. We needed to change in the way we saw God. I mean, I've been married for 40 years, like you know. Yes. <laughs> okay. And if I had to try and have a relationship with Christine that we had in the first few weeks and months of our marriage or our, our, our relationship, it'd be really weird. And, and so when, when, when people got saved, we used to teach them it's like the four wheels of a motor car. The four things you have to do, you've got to read your Bible, you've got to pray, you've got to go to church, and you've got to witness to others. And then we added a fifth one in there, which says it's, it's the driving wheel, which is obedience. And what began to happen for me in my mind, there were these steps. There were these kind of, um, you've got to fit into this box, you've got to fit into these steps, and, and, and that is what is, that's Christianity. And so what I began to see would happen was that people would become to faith and have a very real experience with Jesus. And at some point in their journey, they just get stuck in their faith. And, and they would just always want to revert back to what they first heard. And as a result of that, I don't know if they even grew, you know. They never changed. Yeah. So what are some examples that you've seen in the church? What are areas you have that yeah. have, like, frustrated you or, yeah? The, the kind of, you, if you want to get a little more academic around, that falls into kind of two ideas. The one is theology, the other one is practices. Okay. So when it comes to your, our spiritual practices, you know, it's something that we began to teach people was this thing about a quiet time. Um, and that if you don't have a quiet time at the, end, at the beginning of every day, you're going to have a bad day. And, and I would meet people and I would say this myself, oh, I'm having a bad day, I never had a quiet time today. And so we, there's the subtle teaching that we taught people that if you uh, tick these boxes, everything will go fine for you. And so one of those would be the thing of the quiet time. I mean, I've, I've never had a, a consistent quiet time in my life. I've been a Christian for nearly 44 years, and my relationship with God is great. And, and there have been times when I've had quiet times. I've had seasons of that. But there was this kind of like, you have to do this. You've got to read, you know, two chapters of the, of the Old Testament and a chapter of the New, and that way you'll read the Bible in a year. And if you don't do that, you're not going to get the Word into you, and you're going to get behind. And, and I used to have this Bible program of reading the Bible in a year, and I'd get behind, and I'd spend a Friday just reading, catching up for the past week, Bible reading. And we were taught that stuff, and we weren't ever taught that the, the Bible has a different role in our lives, that our, that our union with God, our relationship with God, is not bound by a a format by a particular model of perfection because there's this idea of private perfection there's this idea that if i get everything right i'll get there yeah so other things that that, that really i mean I, I grew up in an era where jesus was coming back any day now yeah you know the rapture was going <laughs> exactly. to take place any in 1979 yeah. or 1981 or whatever it was and and so this whole idea of dispensations dispensational theology was very entrenched in my in my faith and, and all of that it just caused a lot of confusion for me because it seemed like that God favored a certain generation and was harder than another generation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other things, the role of woman, we were, I was taught very definitively about headship around the idea that the man is the head of the home. And I know this is something that we could, that some of your listeners may <laughs> find a bit offensive. But, and these methodologies, you know, these, these ideas that, um, one thing that I remember preaching, that we come to the Father through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. 
And so you don't pray to Jesus, you pray to the Father, because Jesus isn't God, Jesus is the way to God. And all of these kind of ideas that, that there are these, these beliefs and these practices that, that we kind of found ourselves just doing, unquestionably so, and it seemed like it created a narrow way to experiencing God yeah. instead of this kind of um, what I would perhaps call the way of grace, you know, yeah. that, that God is not looking at my performance and he's not measuring his approval of me based on how I, I perform. When I first became a Christian, you first got born again, you got baptized in water, then you got baptized in the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And, and I'm all for that. But they were the first three steps. And when, sure. you've, when you've done those three steps, you're in. You know? <laughs> done. And there's an in and an out. I think yeah. that was the thing that, that, that bothered me, you know. And so those first laws, those, those early learnings, they became entrenched. And, and so people would divide on that stuff, you know. People would separate on, on methodologies. They'd say, no, the right way. Um, praise and worship. You know, me, you and I have had some discussions about that. Sure. That the way that we enter into the presence of God. Psalm 100, you know, yeah. make a joyful noise and it will enter his presence with thanksgiving in your heart. Yes. So that was the stuff that, um, that I, just, I just found that people got stuck in that. It was, it's what they learned. Yeah. And so that was, it's interesting because that was, you know, like your first learnings. Yeah. So when you became a Christian, those were all things that were fairly entrenched. Yeah. We work with a lot of millennials in our context. Yeah. They don't have any of that. No. They come in at a whole different place, eh? Yeah. Yeah. The millennials, you know, they, they, they have a much broader perspective on things, you know. So, so I think our entrance into faith was very narrow. We weren't allowed to go to movies. We weren't allowed to. One of the big things we spoke about was worldliness. Yes. You know. So if you wore clothes that, that was fashionable, you were considered worldly. Or your hair was too long. Your hair or, was too yes. long. Or you, you know. Women with makeup, all those things. All those issues, things. Yeah. And I mean, None of those things are issues with this. Yeah, they come into a whole different place. Totally. But it'll be interesting. I mean, we'll be long dead by then. But it'll be interesting to see them when they're 60, hanging on to the things that were their first learnings. Yeah, I think so. I think it's inevitable that, 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 the, that the stuff that you learned first is going to be with you. And, and, and I do think that, but you know, I was thinking in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer to the Hebrews, whoever he or she is. Whoever she is, yes. <laughs> um, in Hebrews, you know, we used to teach what we called first principles, Hebrews 6, you know, faith toward God and repentance from dead works and baptisms. This is, this is good Pentecostal theology yeah. that we're talking about now. <laughs> but, in, but, but in the previous chapter, the writer talks about leaving the elementary things of this world, the, 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 the milk, desire more than milk. And I sometimes think that millennials and, and us, I think that, that we feel secure in the milk, the, the stuff that we, was familiar to us when we first came to faith. Sure. And the idea of, of moving forward creates uncertainty. And, um, and if there's anything that we as Christians don't want is uncertainty. Yeah. Whereas I do think uncertainty is the greatest gift that we can get. Because uncertainty demands faith. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to take the faith out of it, actually, now that I think about it. We yeah. wanted to make this thing very clear. These are the steps you take. You, you, you become a Christian. You serve in the church. You become a leader in the church. You lead a small group. You attend prayer meetings. You, you go through all these, these processes, these steps. And then you reach Nirvana. I don't know. Or, yeah. <laughs> whatever, yes. Whatever. Exactly. 
so these things that we that we learned, we first became followers of Jesus years ago, maybe, maybe. How do we decide what we hold on to and what we're willing to let go of? How do we decide, oh, we can move along with this, or are we just like going with every new idea and fad that comes along? What are we grounded to? I think maybe that's the question that I'm asking. Yeah, I think it's a good question, you know, and because I do find that we are interrogating some of the stuff that, that we are grounded to, you know. Yeah, exactly we are. I think, I love what, um, again, I'll come back to that Hebrew scripture. I think it's the end of Hebrews chapter 5, where the writer talks about being able to discern between good and evil. And, and if you had to ask me, what is maturity? Maturity is somebody who has an intrinsic uh, security in faith in God and who God is. They have a basis of, of relationship. They're not trying to prove themselves before God. There's a peace and a rest in their faith. And now they have the capacity to discern. So, and, and this is dangerous ter territory because we, we want to tell people, you, you know, when you can watch um, idols, but you can't watch Games of Thrones because there's a lot of sex. And I haven't watched it, so I don't know. But oh, okay. But your friends watch well, it. Yes. Well, I've been told. You see. <laughs> yes. and, 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 and when I first came to faith back in the day, you know, it was very clear. People just said, you can't go to movies. You can't listen to worldly music. You yeah. can't do this. You can't do that. Whereas now there's a need for discernment. There's a need to have some kind of center in your heart and your life, which I think is relationship-based. I think it's about having a vibrant relationship, a union with God, a union with my fellow man, and a union with my purpose. And you know, that's my kind of mantra these yes. days. So I think one of the key factors to this thing is, is to learn not to be so binary. So everything in our world today is so binary, it's either or, you're for or against. And I think what we have to learn to, to, to ground us in, in how we've, we grow in our faith is to is to hold two opposing ideas together and let them let them just be there and to navigate our way that it takes it's demanding stuff it, it it's not easy yeah I don't know if that answers your question yeah it does there's a song we've been singing here at Grace lately that says God's bigger than my doubts and my uncertainties yes. and he's not he's he's not freaked out yeah. when we're struggling in that middle place and so maybe that's a good place to be. Yeah, I think so. You know, when I when I had a crisis of faith 20, 30 years ago, um, I've had one or two. <laughs> As we all have. As we all have. Yeah, you know, it, it seemed like my will dropped out of my, my, my life. You know what I mean? It's just like everything just went sour, went on its head, and, and I really questioned my calling, my faith in God and all that stuff. And I felt like God spoke to me about His grace, you know, His love for me that is unconditional that I am incapable of changing God's opinion over my life. You can have an opinion of me, and you can change your opinion of me. They can range up and down. But it is beyond my ability to change God's opinion of me. God's eternally settled that. Jesus is the manifestation of God's opinion. Mm. <laughs> you see? So, so I can go murder, I can go steal, kill, it, it'll wreck my life, it'll wreck my family's life, but God will love me the same. Yeah. And back in those days, I used to, when I was processing this thing and I came into this understanding, I'd say, who does God love more, the pastor or the prostitute? And I'd say, it's an irrelevant question. God cannot love more. Yes. <laughs> he is love. Yes. You know, there's nothing more. So, so if I can learn to respond to that kind of love, 
it becomes compelling. Now I'm not trying to appeal for that love. I'm not trying to earn that love. I'm not trying to please God, you know, and get his attention. I have his attention. He leaning in, he's leaning into me. His favor is towards me. There's nothing I can do to change that. Mm. You know, I mean, the psalmist uses the language. He says, if I descend into the abyss, into hell itself, I will find him there. And so for me, I think that's, that's where this, the, the, the whole idea of quiet times and the, the, the longing to be obedient, it wasn't to please God. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, because I know that was, that was a huge shift for you yeah. that encompassed, this, encompassed your life, your family, your, the church you were leading, everything. It just yeah. changed everything. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I think that, that obedience and, you know, whether I'm tithing or praying or whether I'm attending a Bible school or a Bible study or a small group, I'm not doing it to gain God's favor. I'm not trying to tick a box here. I have his favor. Yeah. The reasons why I want to please my wife is because she loves me, not to get her love. Yes. You know, and so I filter basically everything through a kind of a, a, a relationship with God. What is the motive? What is the driving force? And so satisfying. To know that that my performance isn't going to change God's opinion. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay, so that leads us really well into where you're at these days. You've used this word often recently, generative and generative living. So, so talk about that because it comes out of your view of grace. So talk about generative and what you mean by all of that. Yeah, so a little while ago I am... Um, probably about two years ago, I started discovering this thing about um, the Trinity, you know, who, who is God? Yeah. Um, Father, Son, and Spirit. And uh, I was influenced somewhat by Richard Raw, some of the, the divine dance and, and other stuff that he had written, along with some other authors and, and writers, where I began to think about this, this, this life force of, of God, God, God the Son, God, God the Father, God the Spirit. And when I looked at the the book of Genesis, which you know, has its word in generative, it, it's the beginning. We see that God creates you and I, mankind in his image. And the, the image of God, I say, well, what does the image of God look like? And if you read the Genesis 1 from about verse 26, around about there, it, it's so interesting because there are three or four times where it says he created them in his image and in his image he created them. In his. And anyway, so we have this, this image creation. And it's, it's threefold. It's union with God, it's union with each other, and it's union with purpose. And it's the purpose thing that really I struggled with. How do I find God in purpose? And I, I thought it was, you know, it's missional. It's, it's about, you know, telling others about Jesus, about living. And then I began to discover it's about, it's about generativeness. It's about creating space for life. If you look at God, God creates this space. First of all, He creates this earth, okay? And this cosmos and this and all the universe and all that stuff, which is you know, <laughs> way beyond my pay grade. Yes. But and he says to us, be fruitful and, and multiply and um, and fill the earth. And he gives this mandate, this gen, this Genesis mandate to Adam and Eve, whether they're literal or figurative, it doesn't matter. What does matter is that they are there to reproduce. And so I began to think about what does that mean, this generative living. And and it really is around um, an extension of kindness and and not tolerance, but but genuine affection and love for people. So I'm in the airport at Johannesburg International Airport. I'm going through customs. I'm in this line before we go into passport control. Very long line. Very long line. Yes. 
and it's, after a very long trip. Exactly. <laughs> and and it's it's hot. It seems like there's air conditionings on the check-in side and the, in the departure line. But where there is, and I'm trying to figure out how this could be done more expediently. You know what I mean? How, how how can we how can they do better than what they're doing in this long line? And it's all people from all over the world. And I hear God whisper, and this doesn't happen to me a lot, and I'm always reluctant to use that kind of language, but this is how it happens. He says, Mark, do you want to see me? I said, I'd love to see you. And uh, he says, take a look around, and I look around. And like I say, there are people from, from Asia, there are people from the, the West, there are people from the East, I mean, all kinds of people in this line. And then God says to me, in my heart, he says, every one of these people are image bearers of who I am. And as I, as I look at them and I see that, I see that I'm now looking at God. Mm. You know, Every time I see a human being, they may not be living out that image, but they are certainly image bearers of God. Yeah. And so it, it really had a major shift in the way I view people, the way I view myself, the way I view people who are different to me from different religions, different backgrounds, different ethnic cultures, whatever, whatever that differentiation is. And it's not just a tolerance, it's this idea that everybody I encounter is an image bearer of God. And therefore, everybody I look at in, in, into the eyes, I am, in a sense, seeing God. But it's just this desire for people to, to, to be kind to each other, to extend mercy, to stop trying to define themselves by who they uh, are against or who they're opposed to. That, that identity is, is in our humanity, that we can be uh, this, these, these radically inclusive people without surrendering our own cultures without surrendering our own identities i don't know you know it just seems to me that that god's love and his reach is so expansive and 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 and, and what he wants for us is that we will be abundant and kind and extend mercy and and all that kind of it's very noble and it's very kind of um uh what's the word yeah it's a very high thing i, I don't know if i can even get there to that space it's very idealistic mm. is the word i'm looking for but idealism has to be the, the force that drives us because, you, you know I me, mean, I can be deeply cynical. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you know, I, I, I don't know if that explains that, that generative thing, you know, but, but I'm saying no matter, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what your function in life is, you can extend kindness to somebody, you can extend mercy, you can seek to believe the best of them, and um, it changes you. You know, you're the one that, that benefits from that. So when somebody is behaving badly towards somebody else, you know, before you jump in and choose a side, you can just say, hey, you know what? Let's find life in this situation. Look, it is such an important message in this world that we live in because yeah. we seem to be becoming less and less generative. Yeah. We seem to be becoming more divided yeah. um, among, from political lines to race lines to religious lines, to even through denominational lines in Christianity. We just seem to get be getting more and more polarized. And so it seems like that message is more important in this day than maybe it's ever been. A hundred percent. And I think as Christians, we, 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 we've contributed to that thing. You know, a lot of Christians are known for what they're against. Yeah. You know, we, we're anti-abortion, we're anti-LGBTQ, we're anti-all, we're just anti-people. We're anti-people. We're anti-Muslims, oh, we're, yeah. 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 So we, we, we've, 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 we've divided these lines, you know what I mean? We've, we've, we've set these things and we define ourselves and we, we, want it, we, we, we have this desire to, to be higher up on the, on the rank of, of status, you know what I mean? And so if I can find somebody 
that I can say, well, I'm better than that person, then, then, I'm, then I get happy with myself for yeah. some reason, you know. Yeah. And it's so counterproductive. It's so alienating. It's so ungodly, if I could use that word, yeah. you know. Yeah. Whereas I think God is radically inclusive. I don't understand the grand scheme of God's economy as to how we experience His grace within the midst of our, of our varying philosophies and worldviews and that. But I think he's in that stuff somewhere, you know. Yeah. I think Jesus is, is a prime example of God it made manifest. And Jesus didn't always have fans, you know. He, he seemed to attract a lot of opposition. And the opposition he attracted was a religious opposition, wasn't it? Yeah. It was people who, who, who weren't being inclusive. There were people who were leveraging their power through their superiority. Mm. I'm better than you, so I'm, I'm more powerful than you. Yeah. Okay, so we need to wrap this up. Yep. Um, so you've taken this whole generative idea yep. and have put it into blog form and vlog forms that you call Mark Being Human. So just tell us a little bit about that, where people can find you, where they can get more information on this stuff. Yeah, so my mission is I'm hoping that we can all become more human. Mm. Um, uh, it was a, a French philosopher and, and priest who's by the name of Jean de Chardin. My wife says I butcher that really every time I say it, which I do. And he said, we're not human beings seeking a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings seeking to perfect the human experience. Mm. So I'm absolutely convinced that we, we, we need to be more human. And to be more human, we need to be, as I said, union with God, union with each other, union with purpose. When those three things are in harmony with each other, they're not separate entities, but when they, there's, there's synergy between them, we become more human. So my, my general philosophy is that, um, that when we're more human, we live in the space, we're generative to each other. And, and really, I'm trying to start a movement where, where, where we can just challenge our, our, our prejudices and that we can become more human by having our union with God, union with each other, union with purpose. And so I've started a vlog, um, which is, you can go on YouTube and you can search Mark von Straten or Mark being human. When you search Mark being human, you land up usually getting... Um, the guy from Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg, you know. So you could, it's better to look for That's Mark. That's not you. No. no. So search on in YouTube for Mark van Straten, and you won't get Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> and I have a I have a website, Mark van Straten as well dot com, and and Instagram. And You're Instagram there, yeah. Mark, uh, Mark being human on, okay. on Instagram. So those are the three main uh, uh, social media platforms. And, and, you know, joining the conversation, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited what you're doing and um, you're challenging my, my thinking and I'm excited about starting a movement. I, I long for people just to become radically inclusive, not just tolerate each other, but yeah. love each other. You That's know? great. Um, and I'm convinced that Jesus gives us the model for that. So my view on this one is I have a Christian view of this, but it's broader than that. You yeah. know, it's, it's for all people. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you very much for doing this. Like I say, we've had discussions like this before. We've just never had a microphone in front of us. Yeah. Um, so we're on our best behavior today. I've been very conscious of that. <laughs> but thank you so much for being a part of this. I really appreciate it. God bless. Thank you. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed that and found it somewhat helpful. If you did, please scroll down and rate and review this podcast. That would be super helpful. And if this is the first of these podcasts you've listened to, there are plenty more where this came from. So don't be afraid to go back and listen to other episodes that you may have missed. 
I don't have any way of knowing who's listening. So if you get a chance, drop me a note on social media. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Shalom. Shalom.